0: Section thirty three of Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume six, by Julian Hawthorne, Editor. Section thirty three a conjurer's confession part one by monsieur robert hodin self-training slate of hand theories alone cannot explain the mysteries of magic as practiced by that eminent frenchman who revolutionized the entire art and who was finally called upon to help his government out of a difficulty robert hodin the success of his most famous performances hung not only on an incredible dexterity, but also on high ingenuity and moral courage, as the following pages from his memoirs will prove to the reader. The story begins when the young man of twenty was laboring patiently as apprentice to a watchmaker. In order to aid my progress and to afford me relaxation, my master recommended me to study some treatises on mechanics in general, and on clock-making in particular. As this suited my taste exactly, I gladly assented, and I was devoting myself passionately to this attractive study, when a circumstance apparently most simple suddenly decided my future life by revealing to me a vocation whose mysterious resources must open a vast field for my inventive and fanciful ideas one evening i went into a bookseller's shop to buy berthaud's treatise on clock-making which i knew he had the tradesman being engaged at the moment on matters more important took down two volumes from the shelves and handed them to me without ceremony On returning home I sat down to peruse my treatise conscientiously, but judge of my surprise when I read on the back of one of the volumes, Scientific Amusements. Astonished at finding such a title on a professional work, I opened it impatiently, and on running through the table of contents, my surprise was doubled on reading these strange phrases the way of performing tricks with the cards how to guess a person's thoughts to cut off a pigeon's head to restore it to life etc etc the bookseller had made a mistake in his haste he had given me two volumes of the encyclopedia instead of berthaud fascinated however by the announcement of such marvels i devoured the mysterious pages and the further my reading advanced the more I saw laid bare before me the secrets of an art for which I was unconsciously predestined. I fear I shall be accused of exaggeration, or at least not be understood by many of my readers, when I say that this discovery caused me the greatest joy I had ever experienced. At this moment a secret presentiment warned me that success, perhaps glory, would one day accrue to me in the apparent realization of the marvellous and impossible. And, fortunately, these presentiments did not err. The resemblance between two books and the hurry of a bookseller were the commonplace causes of the most important event in my life. It may be urged that different circumstances might have suggested this profession to me at a later date, it is probable but then i should have had no time for it would any workman artisan or tradesman give up a certainty however slight it may be to yield to a passion which would be surely regarded as a mania hence my irresistible penchant for the mysterious could only be followed at this precise period of my life how often since have i blessed this providential error without which i should have probably vegetated as a country watchmaker my life would have been spent in gentle monotony i should have been spared many sufferings emotions and shocks but on the other hand what lively sensations what profound delight would have been sacrificed i was eagerly devouring every line of the magic book which described the astounding tricks my head was aglow, and I at times gave way to thoughts which plunged me in ecstasy. The author gave a very plain explanation of his tricks. Still he committed the error of supposing his readers possessed of the necessary skill to perform them. Now I was entirely deficient in this skill, and though most desirous of acquiring it, I found nothing in the book to indicate the means i was in the position of a man who attempts to copy a picture without possessing the slightest notion of drawing and painting in the absence of a professor to instruct me i was compelled to create the principles of the science i wished to study in the first place i recognized the fundamental principle of slate of hand that the organs performing the principal part are the sight and touch i saw that in order to attain any degree of perfection the professor must develop these organs to their fullest extent for in his exhibitions he must be able to see everything that takes place around him at half a glance and execute his deceptions with unfailing dexterity i had been often struck by the ease with which pianists can read and perform at sight the most difficult pieces I saw that by practice it would be possible to create a certainty of perception and facility of touch, rendering it easy for the artist to attend to several things simultaneously, while his hands were busy employed with some complicated task. This faculty I wished to acquire and apply to sleight of hand. Still, as music could not afford me the necessary elements, I had recourse to the juggler's art in which I hope to meet with an analogous result. It is well known that the trick with the balls wonderfully improves the touch, but does it not improve the vision at the same time? In fact, when a juggler throws into the air four balls crossing each other in various directions, he requires an extraordinary power of sight to follow the direction his hands have given to each of the balls. At this period a corn-cutter resided at Blois, who possessed the double talent of juggling and extracting corns with a skill worthy of the lightness of his hands. Still, with both these qualities, he was not rich, and being aware of that fact, I hoped to obtain lessons from him at a price suited to my modest finances. In fact, for ten francs he agreed to initiate me in the juggling art. I practised with so much zeal and progressed so rapidly that in less than a month I had nothing more to learn. At least I knew as much as my master, with the exception of corn cutting, the monopoly in which I left him. I was able to juggle with four balls at once, but this did not satisfy my ambition, so I placed a book before me, and while the balls were in the air, I accustomed myself to read without any hesitation. This will probably seem to my readers very extraordinary, but I shall surprise them still more when I say that I have just amused myself by repeating this curious experiment. Those thirty years have elapsed since the time of which I am writing, and though I scarcely once touched the balls during that period, I can still manage to read with ease while keeping three balls up. The practice of this trick gave my fingers a remarkable degree of delicacy and certainty, while my eye was at the same time acquiring a promptitude of perception that was quite marvellous. Presently I shall have to speak of the service this rendered me in my experiment of second sight. After having thus made my hand supple and docile, I went on straight to slate of hand, and I more especially devoted myself to the manipulation of cards and palmistry. The operation requires a great deal of practice, for while the hand is held apparently open, balls, corks, lumps of sugar, coins, etc., must be held unseen, the fingers remaining perfectly free and limber. Owing to the little time at my disposal, the difficulties connected with these new experiments Would have been insurmountable had I not found a mode of practising without neglecting my business. It was the fashion in those days to wear coats with large pockets on the hips, called a la proprietaire. So whenever my hands were not otherwise engaged, they slipped naturally into my pockets and set to work with cards, coins, or one of the objects I have mentioned. It will be easily understood how much time I gained by this. Thus, for instance, when out on errands, my hands could be at work on both sides. At dinner, I often ate my soup with one hand while I was learning to soothe la coupe with the other. In short, the slightest moment of relaxation was devoted to my favorite pursuit. End of section thirty three. Read by Lars Rolander.